Hey, church family. Happy New Year. I hope you're doing really well. Hope you had a great Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, whether you were like, you know, being a kind of more alone and reflective or celebrating with other people, uh, whatever you did, I, I hope you're healthy. I'm glad to see you kind of pass through this new year with us. I love the starts uh, of, of, the, of the year because uh, I just like the beginning of things. I'm just wired that way. So I always, I always have like this sense of like anticipation and excitement about what's to come. Uh, that's no different this year, especially turning the page from 2020 to 2021. Obviously, uh, I believe there are good things ahead of us, but but really even more than kind of, okay, maybe we're going to be done with this virus thing and maybe things are going to get better in certain arenas of life. Honestly, uh, those are not the reasons why I'm excited. As I think about kind of in, and, and been praying about, God, what is it that you want to do in us uh, in this new year? Uh, I, I just I have this have this sense of excitement because I really believe that God is wanting to us to step into a new level of relationship with Him, that He wants us to discover for the first time or maybe rediscover for many of us what it feels like and what it looks like for Him to be our first love. That there's this invitation to explore again a relationship with God, like a child entering, like a child that doesn't know any different and just enters into a relationship or enters into something with, with childlike wonder again. You know, often we have this view of maturity in, in, in life and in a Christian faith that you get more serious the more mature that you get. I, I've found that in, in the Christian faith that the opposite is true, that actually the more you know God, the more joy and celebration that bubbles over in your life. And I think that God wants to ignite us with a childlike wonder again. But I think that that's going to happen through discovering him as our first love. One of the images that has come to mind uh, was actually something uh, from a, when a group of us were praying back in 2020, a group of leaders, we were together and this image popped up of the, uh, that we were going to go through this time where it was like we were renewing our vows with God. We were remembering why we said yes to Jesus in the first place. We were remembering again that we are loved, that we are beloved, but that we are also remembering how we are meant and wired to love him. You know, when a couple gets married and they make their wedding vows on their wedding day, there's a sense of excitement. There's this sense of uh, being assured of, I know why I'm marrying this person. I know what I'm getting. I don't know necessarily what I'm getting into, but I know I love this person and I know that I'm in it no matter what. And then later on in life, a lot of couples will decide to renew their vows as a way to say, hey, let's remind ourselves of why we said yes to one another. And it feels like this is the year of a vow renewal for us, that God wants us to rediscover again exactly who he is and exactly uh, the kind of relationship we're meant to have with them. So that, I feel super excited about that. We're going to start a series next week where we're going to start digging into what it means to have God as our first love, our first thing in our heart, the, 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 the person that we give the best of ourselves to. So we're going to start that next week. But, but before we do, I feel like maybe um, we need to, to do a little bit more reflection of exactly where we are right now. And God's put this passage in my heart in Exodus chapter 32 as a way for us just to take a minute to pause and to see if there is anything else that has replaced who he really is in our minds and our hearts. If there's anything else in our lives that uh, through disappointment and frustration with God, 
have begun to kind of seep in and, and kind of taint who, the, who God really is in our minds and our hearts and lead us down a path where subtly or slowly we've actually replaced uh, our, our love for God in our hearts with the love for something else. So we're just going to unpack this together. It's going to be in Exodus chapter 32. And this is the famous story of the golden calf. Before I read it, let me kind of set this up. So back in Genesis, you have this guy named Abraham that God calls from his homeland and says, Hey, I want you to go into this land I'm going to show you. And when, uh, when you get there, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a great nation. You're going to be the father of many nations. Actually, the whole earth is going to be blessed through you. Abraham lives in the land for a period of time, and then his, his, his offspring, his relatives later, through twists and turns, end up in Egypt, not too far away. And over the course of time in Egypt, they actually become slaves in Egypt. And so for 400 years, Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, are slaves in Egypt. And so they cry out to God at the beginning of Exodus uh, in chapter 1. They're crying out to God for deliverance. Save us from our oppressors. Rescue us and deliver us. And so God hears their cries and raises up Moses uh, to be kind of his representative among the people. And so Moses leads the charge in freeing the people. He goes before Pharaoh. You know the story, uh, whether or not you've ever been in church, where he tells Pharaoh, hey, you've got to let God's people go. And Pharaoh has a hard heart and doesn't do that. And so God puts this supernatural love on display for his people in that he does all these incredible signs and wonders to free them from slavery. From the plagues to the parting of the sea, God is like working on their behalf so that they can leave Egypt and then worship God in freedom. So they can have this new relationship with God. They can form a new covenant, which by the way, that idea of covenant is kind of uh, full of, of marital overtones of a husband and wife coming together to form one. This is what God is doing with his people. He's calling them out from Egypt to himself into this land, and he's taking them on as his bride. That is a common metaphor throughout scripture. And so, so eventually God parts the Red Seas. The people, uh, the people are, are, are freed. They're wandering around now, headed toward their homeland. God miraculously provides for their needs by giving them quail uh, that just falls out of the sky, giving them this bread stuff, this manna stuff that they can eat by providing water from a rock. And now he's got his people at the foot of this mountain called Mount Sinai. And he's revealing his heart of what this relationship is supposed to look like. Here are the terms, here are the wedding vows, so to speak. Here's what this relationship is going to look like. And so Moses goes up to the mountain. God summons him up. He goes up to the mountain. This cloud is there shrouding the mountain. There's lightning and thunder and the people are afraid. They know that something is going on up there. And Moses goes up, he comes down with the Ten Commandments, he shares, this is God's heart for the people, and the people respond with, yes, we agree, this is exactly what we want. God calls Moses to go back up the mountain to receive more instruction, more revelation. And then uh, while Moses is up on the mountain, the people are waiting at the foot of the mountain, they've already experienced all the stuff, and that's where we enter into Exodus chapter 32. So let me read it. When the people saw that Moses was so long coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. 
Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. It's just a fascinating scene. You've got the people who are at the foot of this mountain waiting for the revelation of God, who they've already seen God do so much. And they have a good desire in their heart. The desire that's in their heart is to be connected with this God, to worship God. They recognize their need to be connected with a divine being outside of themselves. They understand that there's something bigger than than themselves out there, that they're going to need the guidance and the protection of a God if they're going to have any chance at surviving. Uh, I'm painting this in a positive light for a reason to start out with, because the truth is that within every human being, there is this inbuilt desire that we have to know and to worship God. Not everyone acknowledges it as such. Not everyone understands it as such. But the, but the great theologian Augustine said like 1700 years ago that we have a God-shaped hole inside our heart that only he can fill. There is in us this desire to be connected to God, and that is written into who we are. Uh, We we pacify that, we push that down with other kinds of desires, so it's not like every person has a desire to actually know God, but we know that there's something in us that can't be resolved without something outside of us. And so this is the great human pursuit. It's why there are as many religions as there have been throughout the world. It's because every human culture uh, throughout human history has devised some kind of religion to help us make sense of the world because it is an innate desire within us to know and to be known by God. It's just there. And so they have this desire. The Israelites have this desire as they worship at the foot of the mountain to worship God. The ironic thing is that God is at the the top of the mountain conversing with Moses, about ready to reveal who he really is to the people. They're about to experience God in a way that no one else since Adam and Eve had ever experienced God. So it's right there in front of them. However, the challenge is they have this unmet expectation. They're there, and for whatever reason, they expected God to move sooner and Moses to come down from that mountain sooner than he did. And so they get impatient with God, and they have this expectation that God would move in a particular kind of way in a particular kind of time. And so rather than kind of changing their expectations and waiting on God, instead, they begin to change how they think that they should worship and who they will worship. These unmet expectations they have about God lead them to kind of make some accommodations. It leads them to a place of temptation to worship something else or to maybe lessen the image of God or who God is because God didn't meet their expectations. And the reason why that's important is because that is exactly what we tend to do 
when our lives, when we're going through life and we have expectations about who we think God is or what God should do or the timing in which he should do it, where we will begin to adjust our view of God, not necessarily to who he actually is, but to a way that better accommodates what we're going through. To be, to be really fair and compassionate, we do this from a place of pain. We do this because oftentimes things are really difficult and we don't know what else to do. And so rather than kind of sit in the tension and wait in the moment, we'll try to kind of begin to recreate God in our own image. It's like we have a box that God is supposed to fit in in our mind. And when, when he doesn't fit in that box, rather than question how do we ever end up with that, with that box, we'll start to create a new box and we'll try to put new information in there that better suits our situation. And so that's what they do. They tell Aaron, hey, Aaron, we don't know where this Moses guy is. And Aaron is supposed to be the representative while Moses is gone. He's the guy who's supposed to lead the people as a priest right now. So Moses... Make us a God, essentially. We need something to worship. And so what they do is they take these golden jewel, gold and silver jewelry that they, uh, that they had on, and, they, and Aaron takes them and he fashions them into this golden calf. Why that? Well, um, scholars kind of debate over this, but the, the reality is that to worship a cow or the image of an idol of a cow or calf or a bull was a very popular around the culture. In Egypt, where they just left, there, there were kind of a sect and a way of worshiping God as a cow. And then as they're going into this new land where the Canaanites, the representative of the God of Baal, um, or the God Baal, he was represented by a bull. So where they left, they knew God to be a bull or a calf. Where they're going, they anticipate that God will be a bull or a calf. So rather than kind of stick with the God who has been revealing himself over and all, they go with kind of what they know and they accommodate kind of God to this image that they're building. It's interesting. It's a great role reversal. The Initially, God creates man in his image. He says, let us in Genesis chapter one, make man in our image. And here we have human beings saying, let us make God in the image that we want. It's a great reversal of roles, but it comes from this place of unmet expectations. When we have those unmet expectations, with that disappointment or disillusionment with God, we're going to do something to fill in the void. So for many of us, it's walking away from God altogether. I know some of you maybe have experienced that in your life. You know someone who, who has is walking away completely from God because it just doesn't fit anymore. But usually that's kind of the end result of a process of, uh, of reshaping the view of who God is to better accommodate our experience. That's not our starting place, but that's often where we end up. Anytime there's disappointment or unmet expectations, there's always going to be this temptation to replace it. There are replace who God actually is with something counterfeit, to put something else in the place of our lives that he was meant to. Maybe it's a diminished version of who he is rather than something completely different, but we'll often do that. And so in this, in this story, that's exactly what happens. They replace who they know to be God, the God right now who's thundering and lightning on top of the mountain, who they're just being impatient for with this image of the golden calf. And they end up giving their love and their loyalty to something else other than God. But it wasn't like, uh, at least it doesn't seem in the story like this, um, this sense of, gosh, 
we just we don't we don't want anything to do with God anymore. It seems to be this impatience with who he is, the not willing to wait to see how he will show up, to see who he really is. Instead, they just say, no, we want it, we want it this way right now. If you go back to the beginning of the story, God was setting his people free so that they could be with him and could know who he really is. They were he was setting his people free from slavery so that they could worship him in freedom. It was uh, him doing what uh, a husband would do to pursue a bride at this time. He's fighting on her behalf. He's providing for her uh, uh, on, on her behalf. As a matter of fact, the gold earrings and the, and the jewelry that they're wearing was actually the plunder of Egypt. When they were set free, God said, I want you to take the, the riches of Egypt with you. This was meant to be kind of their dowry or the money that they were going to use to build a new life and a new land. It was meant to be what would be offered to God in worship. But instead, they end up repurposing it for something less than. God has been leading them on this path so he can have a relationship with them, fighting for her, providing for her, doing all these incredible things. And now at this moment, their hearts turn away. He was about to, right now, while, while this is happening, while they're worshiping the golden calf, God is up on the mountain having this conversation with Moses, giving them the kind of the, this is what it's going to be like to worship me. And he's about to reveal what, what it's like to have the tabernacle and for his presence to be uniquely with his people. Again, like, they, like God had never experienced or people had never experienced since, since Adam and Eve. This is like a fresh, new and awesome thing. He's preparing, he's preparing his people to host his presence. He's preparing them for the salvation of the world. But they decide to settle for much less because of their impatience with who God is. They had these unmet expectations. And those unmet expectations lead to disappointment. And disappointment often leads us to disillusionment. And disillusionment also, often leads us to a place where relationship starts to dissolve and then here it ends up in disaster. It didn't have to be that way. Every step of the way, there is a, an opportunity to reevaluate our view of who God is and not necessarily create a, a, a completely new one or to, to, to run the other way, but instead to think, okay, what has God been doing? They, it, didn't, it didn't have to go this way. Every, every Every step along the way, while they're sitting here, they've got 30 days or so at the foot of the mountain. What could have and what should have been happening is they should have been reviewing all the ways that God had been saving them. What they should have been doing is standing in awe at the ways that God was working even when they couldn't see it. They, what they should have been doing is not, instead of kind of coming up with a new way to see God was actually going, God, what, what have you been doing? What did, how, how have you revealed yourself all along? But here in this moment of dissatisfaction with God, instead, they decide to turn their attention to something else. Had they just like lived in the tension a little bit longer? Had they just been able to live without the, the resolution that they were looking for? Moses, come down from the mountain and get us on to this land right now. Had they just been a little bit more patient, they would have avoided this disaster. If they had just looked back on what God had done, if they just looked at the jewelry that God had provided for them through, this, through these means, they would have been in a different position. They would have worshipped God and given gratitude to God instead of doing what they did. You see, a lot of times in life, let's just be honest, God is not going to meet our expectations. There's been many times in my life where he hasn't. 
It doesn't mean that, that God isn't good. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. It just means that I need to adjust my expectations. There's been going to be lots of times in life where that's going to happen. God didn't do, or doesn't act in a way or in the time that we think he should. And it's really disorienting. It's honestly, it's a part of our walk with God. The, the, the Psalms are filled with people uh, who had a relationship with God, who walked with God, who say, God, I thought you were like this, but where are you right now? I, I expected you to do this, but here is my experience right now. And there's full of frustration because this is part of the human experience. What's needed in those moments is not turning away from God or creating an idol or something else or dumbing down our image of God, but instead remembering who God has revealed himself to be before. Waiting for God to reveal himself in a new way right now. You see, maybe in, in your life, you've known God as your provider. He's, he's shown up in these incredible ways and he's provided for your needs in miraculous ways. And you're expecting God to do that again. And there's nothing wrong with that. But maybe what God is trying to show you is that he is your sustainer, not just your miraculous provider. Maybe you've experienced or even prayed for others and seen incredible divine healing. And that's awesome to know God as healer. But for whatever reason, God's not answering that prayer for healing right now. Maybe what God is trying to show you is that he is your sustainer through this moment in time. Maybe you've known God as your friend and you've walked closely with him before, but you feel like you're lacking that intimacy and that friendship that you've experienced with God before. And he's trying to show you that he is a holy, mighty king. You see, when we, we put God in these boxes where we can only experience him in this particular way, or he has to act in this particular way because it's what I've seen him do before. It's because what he did for someone else. We're setting ourselves up to miss something with God. In this situation, God is about to reveal himself, like I've already said, in ways that they never could have expected. But because they have an expectation of God that doesn't meet the moment that, that God is in with them, and they're not willing to hold and pause, they start to recreate God in their own image. That disorientation, that dissatisfaction, those unmet expectations from God, far from being an opportunity to walk away or to, to worship, worship another God, to recreate God in our own image, or actually a, a, a time to lean in, to discover anew who he really is. And the truth is that, that just my practical experience has been in life, that, that the times where I've discovered deeper revelation about who God is has been when, when God hasn't acted in the way that I thought he should. That, that, um, that I thought that this would happen. Instead, God is acting in this way. And rather than me trying to say, God, no, it has to be that way. Let's go, let's go back to what we, what we were doing before. I have to then wait and see how, God, are you going to reveal yourself in this situation and in this moment in time? And I have to be willing to do that. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul prays on multiple occasions for, for the people that he's writing to. He prays that they would grow in their knowledge, or they would grow in their love, or they would grow in their revelation of who God is. You see, because our faith isn't meant to be a static thing. It's not just meant to be something that's rooted in the past. It's actually meant to be something that, that grows with us over time because that's what happens in relationships. We discover more about who a person is the more we walk together. 
And with our relationship with God, we have to be willing to move with him as he moves. Now, I want to be really clear. I am not saying that God changes. And I'm not saying that his word changes. The same God that was on that mountain at Sinai was the same God who parted the Red Sea to deliver them. He was the same God who spoke to Moses and the same God who spoke to Abraham. But each one of those, those people experienced God anew as they moved with God. The problem is we want God to move with us rather than us move with God. We want God to meet our expectations. And when we put God in that kind of box, I'm going to tell you, he is the most unmovable when it comes to those kinds of things. Not because he doesn't care or because, um, because he's unwilling to reveal himself, but because he knows that when he bows down to that desire that we have, it actually produces something unhealthy in us. And it's actually reversing the order of the way things are meant to be. So I think that there's an opportunity for us right now to reflect on this past year even, or maybe even goes further that, and to think about how has God not met our expectations? Maybe you've experienced some personal disappointments. Maybe there's been some things you had a prophetic word about and you thought God was going to do this or that. And so you've, you've had this idea walking around in your mind that God was going to do this, that, or the other thing. And, and it, just, it just hasn't happened that way. And so I think it's an opportunity for us to say, well, have we subtly begin to replace who God is with some other thing, with either a lesser view of he is or something completely different? Have, have I given my love and my loyalty to something else other than who God actually is because of that unmet expectation? Because if we're not aware of that, it's very subtle. It just happens a little bit over time. In this story, there's a whole lot of backstory that we're not given. That we don't know what it was like over the course of those 30 days. But what we know is they ended up at this place where it seems like at the drop of the hat, they were able to give their love and their devotion to something else. They were willing to worship this idol with the very things that God had given them. Right? It's a warning story for us of what can happen if we're not patient with God as he is working, even when we can't see him working. So I think it's important for us to take a little stock and to, and to, and to think about this. And, it, I, and I'm sharing this because in my own life, I can recognize different ways that maybe I've settled for a lesser view of God than what, I, what he actually is. Or, or, or maybe in my own frustrations, I've given up on this particular dream or uh, I've settled for, for this over here. And I feel like God is saying, no, son. I want to remind you of who I really am. And I don't want you to try to resolve the tension of the things that you don't understand, the mystery of knowing me, the mystery of walking with me by settling for a lesser view of who I am. You see, the invitation here is to actually dive in deeper and know God more, not to push him away and know, know God less. And actually, every person who has ever walked with the Lord for, for years and, and grown in their faith has had moments of discovery where there was an aspect of God's character, an aspect of who they were, of who God was that they didn't understand before until they went through these times of kind of crisis where, oh my gosh, what do I, what, what, what do, I, do, what do, I do here? And the, and the truth is, in this story, they're really not in crisis, Actually, they're right square where God wants them to be. He's provided everything that they need. They're safe and he is right up on the mountain. But still, there's this longing, aching desire that they have. So we've got to be aware of what those things are in our life. 
And maybe you're in a position where you say, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like I'm, I'm worshiping another God. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have these idols in my life and I'm worshiping, worshiping, but, but I think we need to pay attention to those unmet expectations to make sure that we don't step into the things that they step into. Here are just a couple signs. The first one is when we start to give gratitude, when we have misplaced gratitude, when we start to give gratitude or thanks to something else other than God the Father, or maybe we have a sense of entitlement instead of a sense of gratitude. You know, them taking this jewelry and melting it down. This, these were things that were meant to be offered to God in worship, and instead they're offered to this dead idol instead. So we can look at our lives and say, man, if, if I started, if I'm, if I'm lacking gratitude, if I'm not on the daily basis thanking God for what I have and instead complaining about what I don't have, then it's very possible that I've got this unmet expectation in my life and I might need to reframe that. So that's one. Another one might be confusing the roles. Um, we have, uh, this, is, this is very difficult for us to wrap our minds around because it, it's so foreign to us, but we have this idea that God exists to make my life better. And in fact, God created us for his pleasure. <laughs> we get this role reversal, and so we get frustrated and upset with God because I think sometimes we forget that that's how we're designed. I was created for his pleasure. Now, the, 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 the cool thing about that is, when, when I have that right in my life, I, like I said right in the beginning, the deepest places of my soul can find satisfaction when he is in the proper place in my life. So I was, he was, he, I was created for him, but I also get to experience the God's, God's pleasure. But make no mistake about it, the order is not reversed. He was not created for me. It was the other way around. And so we need to maybe think about that a little bit. That kind of leads us into that entitlement mentality and leads us into those unmet expectations. Another kind of thing that maybe we can think about is kind of theological accommodation. What I mean by that is if we start to kind of cheapen our view of certain aspect of God's character, of his power, of his authority, of his holiness, of his kindness, of his love. If I begin to kind of cheapen any of those aspects or characteristics of God um, because they don't quite fit my expectations, this is what people have done throughout centuries and ended up kind of with a completely different faith. So back a couple, couple centuries before, people were frustrated with the difficulties that were going on, the kind of, uh, it seemed like God didn't care about the world. And so they developed this idea that God wasn't actually involved in the world at all, that he kind of set the world in motion and just let it let things run on its own. And so that was initially kind of an accommodating view within the Christian faith and eventually led people to completely atheistic belief. There is no God. This is all by chance. He's not involved at all. But it started with a simple accommodation. Well, maybe God doesn't care as much about what happens on the world. Maybe he's not actually involved in the affairs of the world at all. You can go the other extreme where you can emphasize these characteristics of God to one extreme that you forget the other thing. So God's justice ends up being so huge in our minds that we forget that he's also really merciful and we separate those things out. And so we kind of have this theological accommodation that fits the way I think about the world. We have to be careful not to do that. Another one is moral compromise. So this story here is loaded with people 
who compromise on things that they know that they shouldn't do. They, build, they make an idol. God has explicitly told them they should not do that. They worship the idol. God has explicitly told them that they shouldn't do that. They offer these offerings to this idol, explicitly been told they shouldn't do that. And then once they have the idol, they start to involve themselves. And the language here is very soft, but basically they were involved in pagan ritualistic worship that you would expect uh, when someone would worship a fertility god. I'm being a little cautious here because I don't know who's watching or who would be in the room. So they compromise morally in the worship of God and call it good, even though in the eyes of God, it's evil. When we start to make these moral compromises, we know that maybe something is off kilter. Something is, something is out of whack, that somehow I have kind of taken God who didn't meet my expectations and what I thought should be, and I've started to um, recreate him in my own eyes when we have these moral compromises. And people have done this throughout the centuries, calling something that's clearly evil good, because it fits their worldview better. This is how we got into so many of the problems that we have now in society. And you go to, the, to one of the societal evils right now, somewhere along the way, someone justified it biblically. Someone, someone took some aspect of the character of God or some law and then took and ran with it in an unhealthy way. And so here we end up in the situation that we're in. And this, in the scenario, the scenario here, these people had no right to do what they do. They knew it was absolutely wrong to do, but they did it anyway, because it kind of uh, made them feel better in the moment. And so, I mean, we could go on this list. There's lots of the, the point isn't that you would be able to check all those things and go, oh my gosh, oh no, but to say, man, have I, have I started to kind of lower my view of who God is? Have I started to make some? moral compromises in my life? Have I been kind of having this entitlement mentality or kind of flipping the roles? I think God exists for me rather than me for God. If those things have started to happen, then maybe you've gotten your eyes a little bit off of the God who is at the top of the mountain, who is worthy of your love, who has done so much for you to save you and rescue you from your sin. And it's just time for a reset. And, I, and if, I, if I, I don't really have a title for this, but if I had one, it would be reset. <laughs> because I think it's helpful for us to look at our lives and say, is there anything that's going on in my life right now <laughs> that as a result of these unmet expectations that have caused me to kind of put something else other than the God who looks like Jesus in, at the center of my life? And if so, I have got to readapt my thinking. I've got to change the way I think. That word repentance in the Bible, it actually simply means at the most basic level to change your thinking. And so the repentance is this process of aligning my thinking with God's thinking. It means instead of making an idol at the foot of the mountain, I am reorienting my gaze and fixed on who he is at the top of the mountain to say, I want to know that God, that is the one who has saved me from my sins. That is the one. And for us, it's Jesus on the cross. We reorient our thinking around who Jesus is. Whatever you think about God, it is revealed ultimately in Jesus. What, or, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. The, the way I should say this is whatever uh, you should think about God is ultimately revealed in Jesus. Jesus reveals the character of God. He reveals the nature of God. He reveals the holiness of God. He reveals, he reveals the power of God. 
So if you want to think about who is God, what is God really like, then study the life of Jesus. Memorize Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Know how did Jesus live his life? How, what was he all about? If you want to know God and you have questions about what is God is like, read the Gospels and you will find a God who loves you more than you could ever imagine or think. And I guarantee you, you will fall in love with the person that's on this page if you give your heart over to him. And I think that that's what you would want, not for us to kind of fill in the blanks of our disappointment with our own ideas and our own thoughts, but instead to fill in the blanks of our disappointment with discovering more about who Jesus is. And I think that this year is an opportunity for us to rediscover who God is and why we should love him. And if you want to do that, look at the life of Jesus, because he reveals what God is really like. And he's kind and he's loving but he's also fiery and passionate and holy. He carries justice and mercy in both hands equally. He carries love and passion, and he delights in knowing you and you knowing him. That's his heart. So I want you to spend a little bit of time. So before you take communion today, I want you to take a little bit of time today and think, do I have any unmet expectations in my relationship with God? Secondly, if I have any unmet expectations with God, have I begun to kind of turn my attention to something else other than him? Have I started to fill in the blanks with something else? Have I started to lessen my view of who he is and settle for something other than who he is? Just do a little bit of soul searching right now. Allow the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit will examine your heart. He will probe and, 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 and get in and reveal areas of our life that, that seem hidden, that, that maybe we're not even aware of. Even as I was preparing for this message, I felt like God was bringing things to my mind and showing me there's an area here, Chael, where you've not let me have full reign yet. It doesn't mean I'm not saved. It doesn't mean that you're not, that you're not in God's good grace. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. It just means that he wants all of you. So as you get ready to take communion, I just encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit to do some examining work in your heart to see whether or not you've begun to kind of subtly shift your gaze from who he is to something else. And then after taking a little bit of time to do that, I want you to take communion. And I want you to just in this moment, just I know you don't, you may not know what it looks like yet, but I want you to resolve in your heart that you won't settle for anything less than Jesus. I won't settle for anything less than the one who gave his life for me, the one who demonstrated God's love and justice on the cross, who demonstrated his victory over death and his resurrection. I won't settle for anything less than that. I won't settle for anything less than loving that person. I just take communion today as a kind of a sign of a, the beginning of a renewal. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're gonna dive into what does it actually look like to have Jesus as our first love. This is just a starting point to get us reflecting on that. I'm going to pray for us so you can go ahead and take communion. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share with my friends. I pray, Lord, that only what is from you will stick in their hearts and minds, and anything that's not from you will just be thrown away. I pray, God, that, that, that you will bring a revelation to hearts and minds today, that you will help us to see who you really are and what you're saying to us. God, I, I pray, Lord, that you would show us and show my friends today any area of their life where they've gotten just out of step with you. 
Any, any area of their life, God, where the unmet expectations have led to disappointment and has led to disillusionment, dissolved relationship, God, before they step into a disastrous place. I pray, God, that you would just begin to woo hearts back to you, Lord. I pray for a revelation of your love right now as they take communion together. Jesus, it's for you and for your kingdom, we pray. Amen.